We are in a series called Starting Strong, and what we are talking about is what the early church looked like. And so uh, when the church first uh, started out, it didn't look like this. There wasn't a building, okay? There wasn't a, a pastor. There wasn't parking. It didn't look anything like this. It was just a move of God's Spirit amongst a gathering. The word church just means gathering. That is the, the uh, definition of ecclesia. Uh, it's a Greek word, and it just means gathering. You could say there's an ecclesia at the Dodger game. You could say there's a, it's just, it just means gathering. What it means for us is a gathering that focuses on certain things, namely the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And that's what the church is. And so uh, last week, I wanted to take a little bit of time just to review, and we're welcome everyone who's online watching, um, a little bit of time to review what we talked about, because it was a very, very important sermon, and it was a pivotal or key sermon for the series. And so if you missed last week, I would highly, highly encourage you to go online, um, down, either watch it on the podcast, or you can watch it on my Facebook page. It's on Facebook Live, or you can watch the video, or you can download. You'll find it, okay? There are no excuses. You'll find it. No. Um, And so what we talked about a little bit was this verse in Acts that talked about the early church and what was their mindset. How did all these things happen to them? All these miracles, all this growth, all this um, excitement, all this unity. How, How did that come about? And what we talked about last week were four things that they devoted themselves to. And so, uh, um, and that word devoted means to persist in the siege, (laughs) like to be devoted. Like when it's all coming at you, you stand firm. It's to be completely connected with something. And I talked last week about when I ran the marathon or participated in the marathon and, um, and what I had to do to train, how devoted I had to be. It overtook my calendar. It overtook my, uh, how I planned my uh, week at work. It took over everything. I was devoted to that race. And so we talked about that. And then we lined it up with the things they were devoted to. And there's four of them. Uh, the first was they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Now, this happens in a gathering, at this point with the early church, there was no podcast. You couldn't listen to a, a, a sermon while you're on the treadmill. You had to be there where the apostles were. And that's what made it so powerful because everybody was together learning the same thing at the same time. And so there was this unity. And so uh, as, as the apostles uh, uh, spoke and taught and did all that, they were able to help each other. They were able to encourage each other. You could hear the collective sigh. If, they, if the apostles said to do something difficult, you could he- hear the collective sigh of like, oh man, really? And everybody looks around at each other and goes, man, that's, that's a hard word. And yet they were unified in that. And so we talked about what would it look like for you to be a little bit more devoted to what this section would be? Would it be to, to, and we talked about for the end of the year, from now to the end of the year, would it be to try to make it here as many times as you can? Would it be to make it to your small group as many times as you can? You say, okay, from here to the end of the year, I am not missing my small group. That would be awesome. You are then devoting yourself to that teaching, to that community, to that gathering, okay? 
The second thing was to fellowship. And we talked about what that means a little bit. And um, that's more than just the coffee cart on Sunday. It's more than just when I get up here and I tell you to do something wacky, like say, what's up, or whatever to each other's neighbor. It's, more, it's much more than that. It's getting to know where the other person really is at. And that's hard. <laughs> that's hard. That means that there's some type of um, vulnerability for us all. That fellowship isn't just fun. It's, it's the, the word literally means sharing. So there might be some sharing of food. There might be some sharing of stories, but there's sharing of each other. And so I challenged uh, you guys last week that maybe from now until the end of the year, you up your fellowship a little bit. You become a little more devoted to fellowship. So it might be inviting someone over to the house more than you would, maybe once a month, or just getting to know someone, or coming early and just meeting somebody. And last week we talked about uh, a mandate from your pastor that has come down with all the authority that I have uh, over your lives, that you are allowed to look at somebody and say, I'm sorry, I don't know your name. And the person's not allowed to get offended, and if they do, um, they're kicked out of the church. You know, everybody, everybody should have the comfort of going, you know, maybe you've been coming to church here for five years, and you see the same person all the time, and you don't know who they are. Your first step of being devoted to fellowship might be to go, I'm sorry, I don't know your name, and the pastor told me I had to do this, and you can make it fun or do whatever you want. So we talked about that, fellowship. What, what might that look in your life? We talked about the breaking of bread, and uh, we took communion last week uh, for this very reason. And so we take communion every, the first week of every month, and so maybe for you, it's really hard to get here. You have work or you have whatever, but if you could make it to those times to where we're all together, as many of us as possible, sharing communion together, is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And so that they did that as well. And then the fourth thing was they were devoted to prayer. And I talked about what that might look from now to the end of the year. Maybe it's just setting aside, intentionally setting some time aside um, where you, you're just quiet before the Lord. Uh, the other day I was trying to do this as well and I, um, uh, I was in my front patio with I had this little fire going in the fire pit not just on the patio Um, and uh, I just had this empty chair next to me and I just pretended Jesus was there I probably looked like a homeless person but I I was just talking to him like he was right there it's just setting aside I want to be more devoted to prayer maybe it's uh, going to the prayer night uh, uh, on Wednesday next Wednesday where we're just here and we're before the Lord and we're praying maybe for you prayer is really difficult you don't know how. You don't know what to do. And you just want to go, okay, I'm just going to try to pray. And maybe you're in your car and you say, God, what's up? <laughs> it's me, okay? These are all little steps that we want to take. Now, the reason I bring these back up again and the reason I pushed them so strongly last week is because these work. They work in becoming mature followers of God. They work in breaking strongholds. They work in becoming a strong gathering. And so that's why I push them. It's not to get you here more every week, although that would be awesome. It's not to get you to do something. It's that the people I know who follow these things, prayer, the knowing the word, time with the Lord, time in fellowship, taking communion, they grow. Healthy things grow. And so 
Uh, so this morning, we're going to look at a little shift of what happened because right after this, that they devoted themselves to these things, you see some language that says, essentially, it was awesome, okay? And here, here I'm going to review two verses real quick that shows you where they were. It said, all the believers were of one heart and mind, and no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. Wouldn't that be an amazing uh, group to be a part of? And it goes on and it talks about how the grace of God was so strong in verse 34 that there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them and brought the money from the sales. In our small groups, as we've had them this week, one of the questions came up or was, in, was being talked about, one of the common themes was, what exactly did it mean by selling land and houses? Like, what does that actually mean? Well, the, in the Greek, when you do a really big word study, it means land and houses, okay? So it's, it's exactly what it said. That's what they did. Now, is that prescriptive? Are we supposed to sell our land and houses and do all that stuff? That is between you and the Holy Spirit. My point is that once they heard God tell them to do something, nothing stood in their way. That's the point of the scripture. It's not that everyone's supposed to sell their house. It's you're supposed to do whatever the Lord is telling you to do. You're supposed to give up whatever the Lord is telling you to give up. You're supposed to take in and steward whatever the Lord is telling you to take in and steward. What's so amazing about the early gathering, the early church, is that they were so committed to this that nothing would stand in their way. And so, um, but what happened was they began to grow. And when you begin to grow, uh, when you begin to have more and more disciples and more and more people and more and more things going on, some things begin to fall through the cracks. And you might have been part of a church or part of this church's history or whatever in an organization. Maybe it's not even a church. Maybe it's your company where it was growing so fast that things began to fall through the cracks. Maybe it's a department that you have and maybe it's a brand new department, but it's just it's like going crazy and and so you're just trying to hire enough managers and you're trying to get everybody to do what they need to do maybe it's a organization you volunteer at and it's just there's so much work to be done it's hard to get it all done well this morning what we're going to look at is exactly that that even though the early church was this radical they still came in to having some organizational problems and this is so encouraging because here's what i'm here to tell you there is no perfect gathering. There's no perfect church other than ours. So when you go out there, no, no, there's no perfect church. And so what this model, I, I think, what we're going to see in a little bit, models some things that we can learn about how to deal with organizational things in the church that might be falling through the cracks. So here we are, we're in Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 1. In those days... When the number of disciples was increasing, now we have already seen in Acts, there's at least 3,000, we had 3,000 new converts go on the day of Pentecost. We, Luke keeps pushing this thing. They keep, we keep growing, they keep growing, they keep growing. Which is why we can take the apostles' teaching, fellowship, prayer, and the breaking of bread as prescriptive because Luke wants us to know this stuff really works and it's important. So in those days... When the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews, 
among them complained against the Hebraic Jews. I'll explain that in a second. Because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. In that particular time, there were uh, three dominant cultures. There were Hebrews, there were Greeks, and there were Romans. Okay, the Hellenistic widows would have been those uh, from the Greek-speaking culture. The Hebraic widows would be those who were from the Hebrew culture. And what was happening was, for some reason, the Bible doesn't say, one culture was being overlooked. One race was being overlooked and one was not. Now, this is unacceptable in the gathering. It is unacceptable in the gathering that there would be a culture or a section of people who receive the things of God, receive the things of the kingdom, receive help, and then there's one that is overlooked. Now, these things happen for all various reasons. Obviously, racism is, is bad, but, but it's, it's understanding that maybe, the, maybe the Hellenistic widows acted a certain way and nobody knew they needed help. It is the job of the gathering to find out what about that culture was needed, needed to be identified so that those widows were taken care of. Does that make sense? There should be nobody in our church no culture that is overlooked, no matter whether it's via race, via socioeconomic uh, things, whether it's from, well, they're from the South, so they don't count, I don't know, whatever. But it, it's, there's, no, there's no, no room for it in the church. And this is what was happening. Now, the problem is, and we, we'll learn this in a little bit, that word complained, okay? Because in the, in the, in the church, in the gathering, it is absolutely okay to say, why don't we do this? Or this should change. Or the pastor or leadership should always have an open ear to that. They should always be going, okay, what was, what was the problem? Well, I, you know, we want to have a Ferris wheel out in the patio. Hmm, okay, well, thank you very much. You know, uh, but you should always have that. This complaint is not that word. This complaint is murmuring, grumbling. It wasn't direct. It didn't go straight to the people in charge. It was, it was this, this inside thing. Now, if it wasn't dealt with, we would have a very different early church. So, two things are very important. Voices should be heard. Voices should be heard, but to the appropriate people. So it's not just us talking, murmuring to ourselves. It's us figuring out as a team, as a gathering, how do we move forward in these different places where there might be a blind spot, where there might be something lacking, where there might be some people who are not getting the care that they need or that they deserve. And so this is very important. So what, what do they do in this case? Now, because it's murmuring, because it's not actual just coming forth with it, the apostles could have said, well, this has got to stop right now. We're not having any of this, okay? They could have said, well, you know what? If that's the way they're going to deal with it, then too bad for them. They could have done that too. But I think this is a bit prescriptive on what it looks like when you have a healthy community with a healthy, what we call as a denomination, polity, which is basically a political structure and how it, how it works together. So here's what they do. We have this situation. It doesn't say why they were being uh, um, 
neglected. We don't know if it was a, if it was a racial thing or a, or a um, language barrier or whatever. We have no idea. We just know it's happening. So here's what, here's what happens. The 12 gathered all the disciples together. So the 12, you have the 12 apostles and then all these disciples that are coming to Christ and are giving their lives over to him. They gather all of them together. And they said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. And I just want to make a, this clear. What they are not saying is that waiting tables is beneath them. That they're the apostles and that they can't clean up their plates because they're too important or they can't rinse off their, you know, their dishes or put their underwear in the hamper. They're not saying any of that, okay? They're not saying that there are tasks that are too low for them. What they're saying is that as the gathering works together, everyone will begin to operate within their gifts and strengths. And so what they're basically saying is, look, this is our calling, You have to understand what was happening right now. For hundreds of years, all they had was the Old Testament. And the Old Testament pointed to one thing. There is a people of God. They are the Israelites. They are God's people, and God is their God. And there is structure, and there's uh, sacrifices, and there's rules, and there's regulations, and there's organizational charts, and there's all these different things, and that points to that someday Israel will be its own nation, it'll operate under God, and everyone would flock to it, and that's how, that's how the salvation of the world was going to happen. But the problem is, Jesus shows up. And Jesus takes everything and turns it on its head, not dismissing the law, but fulfilling the law. So now all these apostles are trying to figure out, wait a minute, I'm supposed to read the Old Testament differently than I did before. And we got to figure this out. So that is a full-time job for them to figure out there's this new bed of theology now that essentially turned into the New Testament, this new bed of theology that needs to be explored could Jesus be the sacrificial lamb that takes away the sins of the world? Now, now there's no more sacrificial system. Do we even need the temple anymore? All these different things. And so there was, they had to devote themselves to that because it was so important, not because people in leadership shouldn't serve tables. People in leadership absolutely should serve tables, but not at the expense of the thing they're called to do. Okay, so I hope that makes sense to you. Uh, So the 12 gather uh, all the disciples together. It would not be right for us to do that. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you. This is so important. This means that the only way they were going to figure this out is if they were gathering, if they were together from among you. It doesn't mean, um, well, I think I know my friend Chuck down the street. He's pretty good at waiting tables. I could ask him. It's among the gathering. Now watch who are known. (laughs) This is why the fellowship part is so important. This is why the gathering part is so important. It is important, listen, for you to be known, good or bad. It's important. Why? Because the kingdom needs you. And the kingdom can't use people who are not known. And so they say, pick, uh, uh, choose seven among you, who are known, and watch what, the, watch what the thing is to be known for. This is incredible to me. All they're doing is waiting tables. Quote, unquote, all they're doing. That's it. 
And here's what the apostles, here's the qualifications for a waiter. <laughs> to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. The qualifications for a waiter are the qualifications of every believer on the planet. To be filled with the Spirit and to be wise. And we're going to see one particular saint in a little bit who it went even beyond that, named Stephen. But this is what we're to be known for. To be full of the Spirit and for wisdom. Now, why, why would they take... I would say, if I found seven people... Um, uh, and, and by the way, just uh, really quickly, the, it, it's, it says men culturally, okay? But you, we can easily have seven women do whatever too. We find strong women and they can do whatever as well. That's our, that's our polity here as well. And so, so um, I just wanted to point that out because sometimes it's, you can get confused there. Um, why, would they, why would they waste seven really awesome people on the tables. Like, wouldn't, those, wouldn't they do better to lead a small group or to be a, uh, like a apostolate or, you know, kind of work their way up the ranks or what? Now, here, here's, here's the thing I want you to see this morning. No matter what you do for the kingdom of God, no matter what your role is, it has eternal, important, everlasting value. What I do up here great. Congratulations to me. I preach sermons. It is, I could probably make the case that it's not as, but it is equally as important as who's ever working in the nursery right now. It's the same thing. And you know who we want working in the nursery? Those who are filled with the spirit and wisdom. We have people who get here, and I don't want to embarrass them, but if you get here early, you can see them because they're always here, picking up trash around the parking lot. And I am amazed. I Every week, how much trash there is in the parking lot. What are you guys doing out there? Anyway, um, but it's just, uh, it's amazing to me. That, you know who we want doing that? People who are full of the spirit and wisdom. Because everything we do for the kingdom of God, no matter how small, has eternal value. And it's very, very important. We have people, we have volunteers doing all sorts of stuff. They need to be known. They need to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. And then, I love this. This is a great leadership thing. We will turn this responsibility over to them. No micromanagers in the kingdom of God. <laughs> Isn't that great? They get to do their thing. They give you the, your thing, and off you go. And they, you don't have to worry about uh, being o- overseen. I, I, one of my strengths is responsibility, and I really struggle with this. It's hard for me to just let, let it go. I'm getting much better at it. But if I'm not... Just keep it to yourself. Um, okay. So now watch, watch what they're going to do. This is so cool. And again, another great concept. And, we, and, and uh, we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. So check this out. Because these people are waiting tables, we know for a fact there's going to be prayer and the word taken care of. Isn't that great? That means that waiting tables is just as important because if the apostles had to do that, then there couldn't be prayer and the word. Do you see how there's an equality in the kingdom of God? And oftentimes, especially in our individualistic society, we think of levels. And that's okay. You have a boss, and that boss probably has a boss, and she probably has a boss. And, and so it, 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 there's, all, there's all that, and that's fine. 
But in the kingdom of God, when you do something like waiting tables, you're allowing other people to do what they do. And it all gets done. It's fantastic. On the other hand, if we don't, if we don't all find our place and what we can do, then we end up uh, limiting what the kingdom of God can do. And so he says, we're going to devote our attention to that. That's what, that's what we're going to be doing. Now watch what happens. This is really neat. The proposal pleased the whole group. <laughs> they were like, oh, sweet. Now this is how you begin to know when you, what in Acts is prescriptive and what is descriptive. Because sometimes there'll just be a story in Acts, and it doesn't mean we should do it. It just means uh, that it was done. But in this case, it pleased the whole group, and you can see it working. Now watch who they pick. This is great. They chose Stephen, and he's, he's named first, and so he's got, a spirit of, he's got the Spirit of God and wisdom, and now he's also got this, a man full of faith uh, and of the Holy Spirit. So he's got faith now. We're going to see what else he has later on, which is really cool. Also, Philip, uh, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon or Timon, uh, Parmenas, Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. That should cause you to kind of sit up in your chair a little bit. Remember what the problem was? The Hellenistic Jews weren't being taken care of. Do you know who they picked? People who understand Hellenistic Jews. That's really cool. See, it wasn't just, okay, the dominant culture will go ahead and uh, just stay in power, and then um, you just tell us what to do, and we'll create a system, and it'll get done. No, it was, it's sharing of power. It's sharing of responsibility. The, the apostles are like, look, let's just give it to them. They can, they can handle this. The other thing that's amazing to me, they didn't hire like a table-waiting firm. <laughs> they didn't pick someone who has, you know, who has a master's in organizational leadership. They picked people who were full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom, and then they let them lead. I love that. I love that. And then watch what they do. This is just another way of showing how important the waiting of the tables was. They presented these men to the apostles. In other words, here they are, you know, who prayed and laid their hands on them. They have a commissioning service for the table waiters. Because table waiters are really, really, really important. Because people are really, really important. And there were widows that were being looked over. And, and maybe the, maybe the, the uh, Hebraic widows or the Hebraic Jews, maybe they could have spent all their time going, well, that's not our fault. We have our systems. We did our thing. What? We don't, you know, that's, that's their, their, you know what, they're weird. They have a weird, you know, if they had just spoken up, maybe in that culture speaking up isn't what they would normally do. They got it right. They weren't trying to be right. This is so key as we move uh, forward as a church and as the church of Jesus Christ with the big C of all, all of us. So how do we know all these things are important? Because Luke gives his Luke hint so the word of God spread. <laughs> the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and the large number of priests became obedient to the faith. That's really cool. Because they solved this problem, and they did it with grace, and they did it with wisdom, 
And there wasn't any, they didn't allow any of the murmurings to spread and go. People could look back, look on them and say, wow, that, those people are different than what I see, maybe in my own life. And so there's many disciples. Now, what I wanted to do, that's the good news, okay? <laughs> that's the good news. I'm going to read you a little bit of bad news. Because as we move forward, and as you move forward in your four things of the apostles' teaching, fellowship, prayer, the breaking of bread, and maybe some other things that God is working with you on, as you move forward in those things, it does become true sacrifice. It's not easy. So here's what happened to um, uh, Stephen. We've already learned Stephen is full of the Holy Spirit, he's full of wisdom, and he's full of faith. Okay, let me show you what else. Luke mentions Stephen again. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace. Let me tell you what. A person who's filled with the power of the Spirit and grace, just hang around those people. They're awesome. So he's got this graciousness about him, and he has power, and he performed great wonders and signs among the people, and was still fine waiting tables, by the way, which I think is interesting. Opposition arose, which is what happens when the Holy Spirit is on the move. When the Holy Spirit is on the move in your life and you have something you might be giving up or something you're going to be doing, guess what will arise? Opposition. You might lose some friends. You might have people go, we did this every weekend. What's your problem now? Or they might have, you know, what are you talking about? Why, how, why are you changing now? What, you know, all this stuff. Opposition arose. However, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, this is a Hellenistic synagogue. It's, it's Jewish, but it's from people who've been freed from different places, Asia Minor and all those areas, as it was called, Jews from, of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the province of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. And check out Stephen. Stephen's bad. I like Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom. Whose wisdom? The Spirit's wisdom, not Stephen's wisdom. Stephen was not an apologist, okay? He wasn't, he, we don't know if he had what degrees he had or whatever. That wasn't the point that Luke wants to make. The point is, with the power of the Spirit, he's able to defend his case. And uh, that the Spirit gave him as he spoke. So he wasn't in the shower going, man, when they come up to me, I don't know, I know what I'm going to say. I'm going to be like right up to their face, and then I'm going to say this, and I'm going to say that. As he's speaking, the Spirit of God is flowing through him in such a way that he's able to accomplish this. So what ends up happening, to make a long story short, they, they trump up these charges against him, and they get these false witnesses to go and um, uh, to go defend himself. They say he's, he's um, putting Moses to shame. He's saying that, that they're going to tear down the temple, all this kind of stuff. And so the, he's sitting in front of the Sanhedrin, which that would be like going before the Supreme Court. It's very intimidating. And the people weren't very nice, okay? And so he's sitting there, and, and they're having this conversation. All, <laughs> all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Now, that doesn't mean um, it was like a baby with glowing, you know, like, a, like he had tiny little wings and he's like jamming around the Sanhedrin, you know, he's like buzzing around and they're like, what? Stephen, stop. It, it, there was something that was happening in his spirit that was radiating on, his, on himself. 
that the power of God and the Spirit of God was doing such a work in Stephen's life that it actually showed to the people around him. And so they, they go through all these different things about what he did and all that, and the high priest asked Stephen just one simple question. Are these charges true? That's all he asked. Are these charges true? And for 47 verses, Stephen lays out some of the thickest doctrine you'll see in the Bible. He explains why the temple and the tabernacle and all those things were important, but why they're not necessarily needed right now. He reminded them that we serve a God who does not dwell in buildings. He does not dwell in places that we create sacred spaces. He He's beyond all that. He owns it all. As a matter of fact, here's what he says. However, the Most High does not live in houses made by human hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and earth, the earth is my footstool. What kind of house? This is, this is the language Jesus uses. What kind of house are you going to build for me? Like, like this is the way he's saying it. Or, or where, where, where am I going to rest? What, what, what are you going to do? How big is it going to be? What? Has not my hand made all these things? Like, haven't I, haven't, isn't it all mine anyway? As Ajwa comes back up, I want to challenge us uh, a little bit. I know I challenged us a bit last week. Um, and, uh, but he goes on in verse 52 and 53, he starts going after him, like, was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? That is very inflammatory. I don't know what his face looked like now when he was saying that, but uh, it might not have been an angel. The members of the Sanhedrin heard this, and they gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of the Lord. And uh, Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Oh, my good gracious. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But Stephen, uh, and then he, he goes on. At this, they covered their ears, yelling at the top of their voices, like we did this morning when we started the service, for those of you who weren't here. Uh, we didn't cover our ears. We just yelled at the top of our voices. They rushed at him. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. Here's one man who was so powerful in the Holy Spirit, so wise, so full of faith, so full of grace. Matter of fact, he's so full of grace. Watch what he says when, when he's being stoned. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against him. And when he said this, he fell asleep. They killed Stephen. It goes on, because we'll see this character come up a little later. And Saul approved of their killing him. It's, it's great to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's great to be wise. It's great to be uh, gracious. It's great to have a life that is controlled by God. But sometimes it's going to end up costing. Matter of fact, I would be, would be bold enough to say it's always going to end up costing. If the expectation is that Jesus and the Holy Spirit and God and the Bible and all just makes our lives better, like we just can now deal with it spiritually, you're going to be missing out on something that God would have you connect with, and that is of surrendering everything to Him. Everything. 